Welcome to Rams Iconic. I'm your host, DeMarco Farr, and this is the podcast where we catch up with the great ones, some of the best to ever wear horns. It's a chance for the older fans to reminisce, I mean, really go back and relive some of the best moments in franchise history, and a chance for the newbies, the younger fans, to learn about players that set the standard for all the greats that followed. My next guest. I mean, this is so awesome. Dick Vermeil, my head coach, and I, I feel pretty selfish when I say this. He's just our head coach. But then you go through his history, there's, there's more there, and I understand. Uh, former NFL head coach for 15 seasons, led Philadelphia from 1976 to 1982, went in an NFC championship over Tom Landry's Dallas Cowboys. Uh, he was our coach, the St. Louis Rams. Uh, for from ninety seven to nineteen ninety nine, we won another NFC championship and then Super Bowl thirty four, and then the Kansas City Chiefs from two thousand one two thousand and five, where we led the team back to a division title and back to the postseason. Uh, my favorite guy, I love catching up with him, Dick Vermeil. Coach, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I'm sitting here in the Napa Valley. Uh, you know, we're crushing our grapes right now and making wine. I'm doing it great. No kidding. Uh, well, I'll take a case. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'll take a case of whatever you got. Well, we've shared a bottle or two over the years. <laughs> no doubt. We need to do it again. Um, so I have to bring this up. Uh, you went out of the game with 34 seconds to go. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know you were behind Carter. I, <laughs> yeah. I keep telling people you were talking to Kevin, not me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, you know, I feel bad because they've made so much out of that statement. And fortunately, you need, didn't even miss a step because they took a timeout. Yeah, so you went it, right. Back you know, it's <laughs> it's fun. It makes the drama. And and the other one, especially when I go through. Uh, St. Louis, as I hear, DeMarco! <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you were a very, very big part of that whole thing. You know, and one of the nine guys off the original roster that we took over, they ended up going to the Super Bowl. And you were uh, you were uh, sort of a tempo center for a process that was so different than they everyone had been exposed to. They hadn't been used to working like we worked in the old days, you know, and uh you were such a contributor to that, even though, I mean, you got tired and mad and everything else, but I think you, you gradually became a leader of the process and uh, were an example for everybody else. And then we bring Rag, Ray Agnew in and you two guys. And, you know, I can remember doing a, a Seattle uh, Washington uh, football game up there with you and your senior college. I thought you were a little too small. And then all of a sudden <laughs> I, I'm coaching you. And I, I I said, what an outstanding football player. And I, I don't know if you ever got credit for being as good as you really were. Your explosive quickness was the best I'd ever seen in a defensive tackle. And I've been around some guys that could play starting with Myrtle Olson. Oh, you know. No, I, I got credit. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. I, I got all the credit yeah. I need right there. But you, know, but you ended up being a, a, a part of the foundation. Yeah, for the foundation. And uh, from on that foundation, we built the world championship football team. Well, here's something. And uh, going back through your history, it was a whole lot of fun. I mean, chasing you back to the 70s, because I know you were just in L.A., uh, you were at Terry Donahue's Celebration of Life, right. and we talked briefly about that. Um, and you brought up something, and I had to pretend like I knew. You said you saw some members of your 76 Rose Bowl team. You bet. And I was caught off guard. I had no idea about that was the first big win in UCLA football history. And it happened against Woody Hayes in undefeated Ohio State. I mean, going back through this 
was phenomenal. I mean, so you have been winning from the time you started coaching football. Where does that, where did that come from? Well, I don't know. I, I think it's, you have to be yourself. You have to be who you are. And I was raised in a hardworking family where you got up and went to work every day and it didn't ask for anything. You earn everything. And uh, that's how I coach football. That's what I look for in football players. And at UCLA, that was such a big game because earlier in the year, they, Ohio State had beaten us in a non-conference game badly. They beat us by 20-something points. So we were a 15 to 16-point underdog in the ballgame. And uh, actually, in preparation for that ballgame, I had made a mistake and stated that we're going to have fun going to the Rose Bowl. I said that in the locker room after we beat USC to go, earn the right to go. And they were not having, the team was not having fun in preparation. See, they give you 15 days to prepare for a game, but they don't limit to how many times you can practice a day. So I went into double days. Okay. And halfway through the practice, the team went on strike, didn't show up to practice. They didn't even get dressed. And and uh, they really, uh, they, it shocked me. And John Shire, my all-American quarterback came to coach. He said, the guys aren't practicing. You told them we're going to have fun and they're not having fun. And in my mind, the only way to have fun is win. You know, look going to a Rose Bowl and losing is not going to be fun. So anyway, uh, I addressed the team and I was really pissed. I was very intense at that time in my life. And I got after them pretty good. And one by one, they showed up to practice. To this day, just like when we get together as Rams, the first thing they always talk about is those first two years of training camp. The first thing, the other night, when we were celebrating Terry Donahue's life, one of the fine coaches ever been around in my life, uh, we're celebrating his loss and his life. And the first thing these former Bruins, first thing to talk about is going out on strike. And then they all laugh about it. <laughs> they all laugh about it. And, they, you know, now they look at what they learned. You know, you know, hard work is not a form of punishment, DeMarco. It's a solution. You prove that. You prove that. You guys, you, Kevin Carter, you guys prove that. And then, and, and, and the other guys that we brought into the organization, the kind of people we brought in, Mike Jones, you know, Ray Agnew, these kind of guys. Then you add the Marshall Falks and the Tory Holtz and these kind of real skilled people. We win a world championship. Well, that Rose Bowl game, all of a sudden, by game time, at halftime, we're down three to nothing. And I'm thinking, they've given us the best they can give us. It isn't going to be good enough, guys. And that's what I said in the locker room. We'll go out there and kick their ass. And we went out, exploded offensively and beat them. And it's still considered the number one upset in the history of the Rose Bowl. That game put me in the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. Why? Because John Shire played lights out. Wendell Tyler set a rushing record for a Rose Bowl game. The defense played lights out, a defense that had been rolled over and upstream. You know, they had uh, they had like five first-round picks playing in, against us, you know. And I mean, say, we win that football game, and all, the next day I get a phone call from Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> the next yeah, day. That, the next see, day. that's my next point. I mean, so you beat Woody Hayes, and if you haven't seen this, people, you need to go back and YouTube this because I did. It's still there. The great Woody Hayes is walking across the field before the game is actually over to shake your hand. You're up on your player's shoulders as Woody Hayes comes up with his hand extended. What was that like? Well, you know, they put me on the ground. He reached around. Actually, it was I wasn't on the shoulder. The game had about 55 seconds to go. He, he gave me a hug and said in my ear, 
co- young, a fine job of coaching young man. Wow. Tur- shook my hand, turned around, walked across. You know, I actually felt sorry for him because he was toward the the end of his career, had been coaching for a long time, and no one did it any better than Woody Hayes. And he did it his yeah. way. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget that moment. And it is often brought up to me when we have discussions uh, about football and things that uh, happened in your life and that kind of things. But that's one of the finest compliments I've ever received in my life. That that in a Tom Landry compliment one time, pregame warm-up, he gave me the finger to uh, signal to come over, not the finger, this finger. Yeah, and right. said, like this. And he's standing there with the hat on or his coat and tie. And here I am. And I, I jog over to a pregame warm-up. And he said to me, you know, Coach, you're doing a wonderful job there in Philadelphia, but you're going to have to learn to slow down. He says, from what I understand, you can't keep that pace up. Something like that to me. And I said, what a wonderful thing for an opposing coach to do. That's why Tom wow. Landry's in the Hall of Fame. He's just a great human being. And he respected what we were doing with an organization that he'd been beating the hell out of for a while. And he saw the difference. Well, you're going to join him soon. We'll get to the Hall of Fame in a hot minute, but I'll just say it's it's about time. But, okay, so historic win in the Rose Bowl. In Los Angeles, you could have wrote your own ticket, but you chose to go to Philadelphia. Tough decision? Fair I down. mean, I'm sure they wooed you. Very I would have loved to have been in that room when they're selling you on the Eagles who weren't that good to begin with. No. You're leaving what you just started in UCLA to go to Philadelphia. You know, that's an easy question to answer, DeMarco, because first off, uh, when they called me, I told them I was not interested to meet. They were already in a hotel off campus, uh, the Beverly Hills Hotel. That's where they were calling me from. And I said, you know, I'm not interested in going to the NFL. I can build a national championship team here. We just run the Rose Bowl. I'm not interested. They kept calling me each day. So finally, on, they called me on a Monday. Finally, on Thursday, I went over to meet with them. Prior to going over, I called Chuck Knox and I talked to Chuck Knox because I'd worked for him. And he said, uh, he said, Dick, you know, you can't turn down an NFL opportunity, especially when they call you. You just can't do it. Uh, you may never get another one. So I thank you, Chuck. George Allen. I called George Allen. I said, George, this is what's going on. He says, you take the job. He says, no one's going to call you and offer you an NFL coaching job. (laughs) So I went in to that Thursday meeting in a different frame of mind, more serious. And also at that time, now listen to this. We win the Rose Bowl on a Saturday. I guess it was a Saturday. The first day back in the office, J.D. Morgan, the athletic director, calls me down to his office and he, he, he always goes like this. Coach Dick, he says, you do it. Oh, wonderful. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a raise. I'm going to move you to thirty two thousand five hundred a year. I thought I was making 30. OK, <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden now they're talking about paying me fifty thousand dollars a year with deferred compensation. Coach wow. Eagles, well, she's $20,000, a lot of money. And one of my first thought is, geez, I could do things for my family. My mom and dad did everything, you know, and I, know I could it. do things for my family that I couldn't do on $32,000 a year. And anyway, so I ended up taking it. And uh, Jimmy Murray was the general manager. He was sort of the the salesman guy, really a good guy. And, I, and uh, we're, we're very close. I just talked to him yesterday. And uh, uh, that said, you know, I better go. And I hated leaving UCLA. I hated leaving UCLA. The quarterback that I had so worked so hard to recruit, Big Bukic, his dad was the former great Chicago Bear quarterback, Rudy Bukic, okay. 
I recruit him to come and we're going to go to a pro office when he gets there. Okay. He was at the celebration of life the other day. He says, Coach, we only got one year together. (laughs) (laughs) I felt bad about that. I felt bad about that. Yeah. You know, whenever someone asked me, I said, whatever coach is going to do, it's not for ego. He's going to make a choice based on what's best for his family. And you just said it right there. That's why you would make that jump. Okay. So the next point is, what is it about year three? So you go to Philadelphia. They're bad. And help me out with this. The Eagles didn't have a first round pick for your first three years or first four years? First three years, no first or second. Or third, the first two. Our third year, we got a third round pick was our first high draft choice. How do you build a team <laughs> without first and second round draft picks? The old fashioned way. We went to work. <laughs> we went to work. We at Philadelphia, we use the same process we used with you guys the first two years. No way. Yeah, this exact same philosophy and approach on the factory. You know, for two years, you didn't take the shoulder pads and helmet off. There were no almost. Yeah. And the the first time we ever did take the pads off during the week in preparation for a game was Friday afternoon practice after goal line and short yardage. You got to take the pads off. (laughs) And uh, and that's, that's, you know, the next year we caught, we didn't compromise. We, modeled the training camp to fit where we were physically now prepared to play. Meaning we were, we were pretty good. We were ready. And in fact, I told John Shaw that I got, I called John Shaw into the offensive staff room before we broke for the summer vacation. I says, John, this is a playoff football team. And he looked at me, says, coach, don't tell me that all the coaches tell me that he said, no, I'm sincere. This is going to be a very good football team. And, and I think it's a playoff football team. And, and so we had, when I brought in Mike Martz, and Al Saunders, uh, Dana LaDuke, and John uh, Matsko, they were equivalent yeah. to f- four first-round picks. Matsko. Yeah, they yeah. were equivalent to four first-round picks. Nobody's done a better job of coming in and taking over an offense that we had been building for two years than Mike Martz. You know, and, and so it just all came together. And I just was so confident we were going to be good because of – you and the structure around you, that defensive, you know, and the guys and, and Kevin Carter was really starting to recognize the kind of talent that he had. You know, yeah. Kevin was a defensive player with an offensive mindset. You know, he, you know, I've never heard it put that yeah, way. You're he, right. he was just a wonderful human being and, <laughs> and uh, almost too smart to get mad at the guy in front of him. You know, Correct. I, yes. can, I can remember the time that I thought he turned the corner. We're on the practice field. And I'm always on his butt. You know how the first two years I rode everybody. I'm on his butt. So I go down there going defensive ends against seven technique, one-on-one live. Okay. One-on-one live. And poor Roland Williams is Roland Williams. (laughs) Comes off the ball. And Kevin came off the ball, shoved his helmet in, knocked his front teeth all loose and blood all over the place. And, And I'm standing there. And he turns to me and almost says, is that what you want? And I said, Kevin, on every snap. <laughs> and, you know, something he delivered. He got 18 packs that year. I was in the group. I was in the line, in the huddle, <laughs> right before that happened. And I'm trying to communicate with Kevin, and he's not giving me anything back. And I look at him, and he is just 
so angry. Like I've never seen him look this yeah. way. Well, <laughs> like, and I remember Rollins teeth dangling, and the only thing holding it together were braces. I'm like, oh my god. Well, God, and Roland laughs about it now. Yeah. And but I saw because I saw Roland at the Hall of Fame entry of Isaac Bruce when Isaac went in. But anyway, you know, then we took that approach and mellowed some for the third year because I I thought we. Here's where we are, and they have given everything they have to be where they are. And I, I'm going to save what they have left for game day on Sunday because I've really felt that. But see, in Philadelphia, we did that for five years, those training camps. Wow. And uh, those kids, uh, it's amazing. We almost had zero injuries. I mean, wow. I'll give you an example, and you'll appreciate this. My starting yeah. left tackle, Stan Walters, my starting offensive center, Guy Morris, and my starting right tackle, uh, uh, Jerry Sizemore. Now, both tackles played in more than one Pro Bowl. Okay. Seven years. They Three of them t- together combined missed three starts. Wow. See, here, here's what I learned. Here's what I learned from you over the years. Because like you said, when you're going through it, it's rough. Um, when you're in your second and third year of it, you kind of understand it a little bit more. Now that I'm 50, I can go back and say, it's not the work. The work is something you're used to. You're used to being in pads. It's knowing how to rest. Mm -hmm. Really, It's knowing how to go home at night. You know what I mean? And get ready for the next day. That's a good point. I've never heard it expressed that way. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would bet this, I'm sure there's no stat to prove it, but I bet there were more kids born when you were head coach than any other head coach in the league. Yeah, well, I, I hope that's true. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing else to do but go home and lay down. So, okay, so Philadelphia, third year, you have them in the playoffs. In 1980, you were in the Super Bowl. Uh, a couple of years after that, it's the, it's the word burnout. And one more thing I have to bring up. When I was going through your history of where you were, uh, this is great. I have to say this. Uh, one of the only coaches, if not the only coach, that's been coach of the year at every level, high school, junior college, college and pro, you were coach of the year. Uh, so all these places you've been, I never even saw or heard the word fired. You know, they always say coaches get fired. Have you ever been fired before? I don't think you ever have. No, I haven't. I was on a staff that got fired. Tommy Proctor staff uh, when I was on the Los Angeles Rams staff with Tommy as a head coach because I was his offensive coordinator at uh, UCLA. And then we, what I, he took me with him back to the Rams as uh, offensive coordinator. They got fired, but uh, Mr. Rosenblum asked me to stay. He asked me to stay on the staff. It went along with Tom Catlin. We stayed on the staff and coached for Chuck Knox. If I hadn't gone to UCLA in 1970, they wouldn't have called me up few years later and say, will, will you be our head football coach at UCLA? Well, wow. you know, it's about making good decisions. Yeah. I mean, everybody I went through, every coach, uh, great or what have you, they all had the word fired. I didn't see one with you. I thought that was uh, that was notable. Uh, okay, so Philadelphia, you, you, you take the time off. You go on the TV. That's how we kind of met yeah. when I was going off versus Ohio State having the game of my life. And you tell the world I'm too small for the NFL. <laughs> Yes, you. Here's how smart I am. (laughs) And then, okay, so 1996, 97, uh, when did you decide I want to get back into coaching? Well, uh, I had been offered an opportunity for a strong evaluation. Uh, 13 of those 14 years I was out. And once I was offered the finest 
job in the history I ever offered a football coach. You write your own contract. Wow. Okay. I, I was an owner told me that on the phone. You come and you can write your own contract. She says, I have more money than I can spend in a lifetime and I'm tired of losing. She says, you write your own contract. And I didn't go. And I, and I got deeply involved with the Eagles two years prior to come to the Rams. And that told me, I mean, God, I got excited about it again. And I, I felt I could go and do a better job of controlling my own weaknesses, of getting too involved, too emotionally involved, working too hard and running out of gas. And uh, hmm. I thought I could control that. And I thought I could be a, de- a, a delegator and a designator better than I was as a, I didn't have confidence enough to give people more responsibility. I thought I had to do it all myself. And uh, because that's when you coach in high school, you do all yourself. I had one assistant coach in junior college. Mm-hmm. I had one assistant coach. So you did everything. You know, at UCLA, I had a 10 man staff. When we left UCLA, I came to the Eagles. I was the first guy in the league to have more than seven coaches on staff. I had 10. The wow. head coaches asked me, what are you going to do with all those guys? I said, well, I had 10 in college. I'm going to need 10 or more in pro football. Now they got 25 for round six. But anyway, that was it. And uh, I, I pushed myself into a hole. I got so DeMarco that uh, the thrill of a win didn't last very long. Mm. Automatically shifted my mind to what we had to do to win next week. And then what the worst part of it is the agony of a loss would last all week after the loss. Mm. And it would negatively influence my concentration and preparation for the next game. And it snowballed on me. And I, I, I felt guilty about it. And, you know, I said, you know, I just... Carol made the final decision. I, I, I said, honey, I don't know what I'm going to do. She says, you're going to get out for a year. That's what you're going to do. So we did. I didn't know what to say. So I said, I'm emotionally burnt out. And that's how I felt. Now, I invented a term that everybody uses, but uh, it was that's how I felt. And I was I felt guilty about not being what I thought I had to be to be a good football coach. Wow. Wow. I, I, I wish more coaches had that same sort of mindset. It's healthier that way because. I hear that a lot. Um, winning doesn't affect you like it should and losing stays with you longer. And, you know, if you don't take some time off, you could lose yourself yeah. and lose your family. Yeah. Well, you know I, what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I'm sure I, I was on the road. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm glad you took that advice. So, I mean, so the years prior, um, 94, we're here in Los Angeles, 95, 96, we're, we're in St. Louis. And, uh, you know, I thought we were one player away. I didn't know how far we were away from being a championship team or a playoff team, but I knew we were close. I knew we just needed a few more pieces. And then 1997, you became our head coach. So when you took over the roster, took over the team, and you saw us, uh, did you think we had a chance to do what we did in 99? Did you see the nucleus of a Super Bowl championship team on that squad? You know, it's that's a hard one to answer. I knew there were players there that were drafted pretty high. Some of them I thought were drafted too high, but I was just getting back into it. So I, I did all the players look better because they were all bigger and faster than my Eagle Super Bowl team. My heaviest guy was 275 pounds. Wow. Yeah. They, you know, they didn't make them that big and that fast in those days. And then you get there and you see all these guys. And uh, uh, so I, I was, I was, so, you know, I think we can, there's a nucleus here we could build on. And, and some of them uh, just weren't quite as good as they were drafted to be, or they were, but didn't know how to be. 
So I look specifically at what a young player did every day on the practice field. And I forgot where he was picked and what he was supposed to be and evaluated what I saw, what he was every day. And when I started seeing guys being what they had the ability to be every day, I made a special place in my heart and mind. This guy's going to be here when we win it all. Like I'm looking at one right now. I say, DeMarco Farr is going to be here when we win it all. And uh, he goes to the Pro Bowl that year, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one expected DeMarco Farr to go to the Pro, but he worked his way into it. He earned his way into it. He wasn't drafted into it. You know, a lot of people go to the Pro Bowl because they were picked number one and everybody knows his name. You know, no doubt. And, you know, you add Ray Agnew and those kind of people to the roster, you get unbelievable depth that adds uh, credibility to everything you're doing. And uh, it pretty quick, they started because of how they work. They start expecting to win. They start expecting. And I made some staff changes and I, I screwed up J- Jerry Rome a little bit and, and by interfering with him and that. And, uh, and I made up my mind when I brought another guy in that I wasn't going to interfere with him. I was going to make sure I control the practice. I was going to control the discipline. I was going to control the attitude. I was going to control the relationship. And I was con- going to con- help control the decisions of who we draft, you know, mm. and what kind of person we drafted. And uh, uh, our, our staff, you know, Charlie Army and John Becker. John Becker was responsible for you being a Ram. He was the guy that, yeah. before I got there. But see, John Becker That's had worked for me. from your past. Yeah. I didn't know he had been with you that long. John was with me. We worked together. He was a freshman coach, and I was the offensive coordinator at the Rams in 1970. Then well, he, left the, yeah. he left Oregon, and I brought him with me in 1980 at the Eagles. Fine coach. So uh, they – You know, you've been around me my whole life. Yeah, right. I, really. I mean, John Becker was the guy that gave me my shot with the Rams, right? really. Hey, go back to when I was in high school, 16 years old. I went to Joe Cap's Cal Can because yeah. it was about 15 minutes from my house. Guess who was one of the assistant coaches? John Becker. Louis Giamona. Oh, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I had dinner with his mother last night. Okay. See, right. you have been around me my whole life yeah. before we even met. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, anyway, because of guys like you and the commitment you guys made, and we had to teach some guys how to make this kind of commitment yeah. and, uh, and, and prove we were sincere and prove that we cared about them. And, and the reason we cared about them is to help them be what they had the ability to be. And some people need more pushing than others. And we pushed them. We pushed that group for two years very hard. Mm-hmm. So therefore, when we back off a little bit, you knew what extremely hard work was. And we backed off a little bit to just hard work. You recognize the difference. Everybody thinks they work hard today. You go to a practice that looks like dancing with the stars. You know, <laughs> you at the ramp, you've got to notice different. that. You've, you've got to notice that. What a difference. But, you know, there's probably a lot of benefits out of it. Hopefully it's yeah. helping the condition of a player 10 years after he quit. You know, let's hope so. Yeah. Well, I was at a, a training camp this year and somebody asked me, like, what was the difference between this training camp and training camps I went through? I said, how long have we been practicing for about two hours? Well, I would, I would have been bleeding by now. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Not just sweating, but that's just how it worked. But yeah, um, that first two years, it was hard. We were learning. But that third year, when we backed off the hard work, mm-hmm. I could tell the difference from us and the other teams we were playing, mm-hmm. they had no idea what hard was about. Yeah. They had no idea was, what did you used to tell us? Developing that deeper level of 
conditioning. Yeah. That when they, you, you know, you can recover from being exhausted in seconds. <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but it was rough getting there. So, you know, like you said, you, you brought up Kevin Carter, Ray Agnew, uh, Kurt Warner, we have to talk about um, through Trent Green, getting the quarterback position uh, solidified. Marshall Falk was our running back. Orlando Pace being our left tackle. I mean, we were special. Like you said, you knew we had a chance to contend and we did. So going all the way through that, and this is just me reading your history, Mm -hmm. thinking I know you, and then going from top to bottom, start to end, and then looking at that picture I have on my wall of you holding the Lombardi trophy. It was about us. It was about our group. But what a hell of a journey it was for you to hold that trophy. Yeah. I mean, what was going through your mind when you in Atlanta when you were holding the trophy, when you were up on that that riser, you know, looking down on on the ticker tape and everything else? What was that like for you? Well, I can remember looking down at you. Yeah. Pointing my <laughs> finger and saying, DeMarco, you are a world champion. That's exactly yep. what I said to you. <laughs> I remember that. Well, first, that's a very humbling feeling. For me, it was very humbling. The first thing I thought about was my family. And they told me I had to go to the podium. I said, I'm not going there unless I go get my family. And I actually swore at one guy trying to grab my arm. I really did. And I, I, I understand that people have heard a couple of things I said, but I went over <laughs> and Carol, they were all sitting in the front row behind the 50 yard line. And Carol started dropping the grandchildren. First off, she jumps over and she said, I'm coming over. And the police officer said, you can't. She said, you better catch me. She jumped over and then when they started dropping the grandkids and I put one of them, the, uh, Chrissy Barnett, uh, on my shoulder, who's now working for Netflix at, at 25 years wow. old, you know, whatever. And we walked over and then I, I walked to the podium with these kids and my, I had five of the grandkids with me. And then then I went up on the podium and started, you know, accepting the presentation. But I remember that. But it was humbling. I felt uh, very good about doing this for the city of St. Louis because they hadn't experienced it either. And there's so many wonderful people in, in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. Remember when we went there, they booed us. <laughs> to hell. Oh, Remember the guy that wrote me the nasty letter? So I, I, I called gave him, the season him tickets back. The letter, <laughs> and I called him up and invited him to come to a Saturday night meeting. I remember that, meeting. yeah. And he couldn't get over how serious you guys were, yet we were getting beat. And I, I told him, you just stay, you, you keep with these guys. They're going to be winning football team. Maybe not, maybe not, maybe not tomorrow, but they're going to win a lot of football games. And uh, 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 those things all came. I wanted to uh, say thank you for letting us go through that process of the three-year process to get there. You know, and hell, you went back two years later and could have won the ball game. You know, it just, mm-hmm. you know, it takes the same thing to get there and lose. It does to get there and win. Game day, you got to get it done. We did not get it done in Philadelphia. We we got beat by a team that we had beaten in the regular season. We went in as a favorite. I did obviously. I didn't do as good a job. Jaworski threw three interceptions. Probably my fault more than his. But the, all these things, when you win it, things have got to go right. You know, Demarco's got to make the play when he's out the opportunity. Kurt's got to make the play when he's got the opportunity. You can't drop the ball when you got the opportunity. And we actually should have been ahead. Uh, much more than we were. And we, we fumbled a f- uh, field goal snap. We had all these different things go wrong, drop touchdown pass, you know, these kinds of things that would have put the game out of reach. But I still felt, regardless of what it was, we were going to win it. 
I, I just felt we were going to win it. And I can remember telling Kurt Warner when he went back in that last year, I said, Kurt, this is how the Super Bowl, this is how the world championship ought to be. Go out there and win the damn thing. <laughs> you know, and Aunt Shelley does it. <laughs> wow. You know, I, now, let me interject this. Tuesday at one o'clock, we watched the preview of the whole movie of Kurt Warner's life. We saw it. Yeah. They flew the film up to us, put it on in a theater, and I invited guests. It was about 30 of us in the uh, studio and? theater, and yeah. we watched it. It's outstanding. Wow. It's Wait, outstanding. who's playing you this time? Pardon? Who's playing you this time? Uh, oh, it's uh, it's Quaid. Right, Quaid. Yeah, he did a good oh, job. look. He did a good job. No. The bar said hi with Kinnear. Yeah. Kinnear nailed it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the, uh, they, they took out Kurt's first year. And they made the suit in because the movie would be too long. They just they they made the Super Bowl year look like it was his first year, which is fine. Oh no kidding! But everything well, else they did that. in it was extremely. Well did they done. have the speech? Did Quaid have to do the "We will rally around Kurt yeah. Warner and play good football" he speech? Yeah, he did a good did job. Did he nail it? Yeah, he did a good job. See, they have all that on tape today. You know. Well, see, yeah. like the 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 soundbite that people see, that's with you talking to the media. Yeah. I tell people. He had told us, the team, the same thing, but more in depth, like a half hour before yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we're not going to let what happened to Trent derail what we have going. Yeah. We're not going to use it as an excuse for losing. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how you leaned in. Wow. Wow. So there we are. I'll say to finish out. So we win the Super Bowl. You retire. And then you come back with Kansas City. And again, in year three, it's funny. This year three thing comes up. You're back in the postseason. They win their first division championship in, I don't know, 15 years or whatever it is. So, And then you retire again. Okay, so now we're removed from your coaching deal. And when I saw you at the Hall of Fame for Isaac Bruce, which was a great thing, uh, we were happy for Isaac. It was great to see all the old guys. But the thing that was on the lips of everyone there was, when's coach going to get in? <laughs> When is Coach Vermeil going to get into the Hall of Fame? I mean, really, we did. I mean, I left out of Canton steamed. You know, like, you, why aren't we talking about Dick Vermeil for the Hall of Fame? And sure enough, boom, you're, you're on the list. You, you, you're you one step away from the Hall of Fame. And the thing that got me the most is your first comment is, I'm not sure I belong there. That's classic, Coach. <laughs> of course you belong there. I'm glad they're getting this right. I mean, you're on the doorstep of the Hall of Fame. Excited, nervous. How do you feel? Overwhelmed, you know. I felt, yeah. you know, I, I, it's in my mind now. I'm settled down, and I understand it could happen, and there's a strong chance it will. But at that time, Demarco, two years ago, when they changed the process of and, and put the Hall of Fame selection into three categories: players going in, contributors going in, and coaches. Before they were all lumped together. So if they took a coach, they they would eliminate a player. So for you know over 13 years, there were only two coaches that went in. So they changed the process two years ago. That's how Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson went in. They were in a separate category of pl from players. They weren't taking a place of two Hall of Fame players. They were, they were two Hall of Fame coaches. And I found out through communication that I was deeply involved in the conversation who those coaches were at that time we were going to go in. So then I started thinking, you know, I have a chance. And it was that's great, but it'll never happen. It, it's great. And then uh, Carl Peterson, the president of the Chiefs, who was with me at UCLA, was with me at the Eagles and brought me to the Kansas City Chiefs. 
took it upon himself to be an advocate because all three of my owners are dead. They all passed away, God bless them. And so he started talking to the people and influencing it. And he got a lot of head coaches step up for me that wrote letters of accommodation, you know, from Andy Reid to Jeff Fisher to uh, Tony Dungy to uh, a bunch of guys. And a photo conference from Bill Belichick, these kind of guys. Wow. Uh, yeah. Then I start thinking, you know, I, I got a chance. I got a chance. And that was it. And then all of a sudden I get the phone call. Okay. That was really something. Yeah. You're well, you're a finalist now. And Isaac Bruce, that was great. The celebration was no awesome. Question. I said we'll be back next year for you. So you did say I that. think I have a nickname for you. I'm gonna call you the ender of misery. <laughs> Everywhere you go, misery ends. <laughs> well, you know, work. the funny thing is I keep track of this because uh people have said, Well, your win-loss percentage was only like fifty-two or fifty-three percent in your NFL career as a head coach. I said, but my third year was 74% win. <laughs> but they don't want to hear that. And I, I take pride in that. I take yeah. pride in that. And so are the so are the kids, so are the players that created that difference. Now I didn't play a snap, but I we helped and my coaches helped create the process that would allow that to happen. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say one thing I heard at the Hall of Fame that it definitely fits here. And and we'll we'll end with this. Um when they were talking about protecting your legacy, we're going to protect your legacy as a football player. Welcome to the Hall of Fame. And then I looked at you. You were seated, seated about two seats in front of me. And I said, if there's anybody's legacy that needs to be protected and told and talked about, it's got to be Coach Vermeil. So months later, you're a finalist. I hope this thing goes the way it should. And then you end up where you need to be in the Hall of Fame. So uh, special coach, special times. Uh, the work was hard. I apologize for, you know, for bitching, <laughs> but, but we, we ended up with diamonds and gold, man. That says far on that. That will, that will never change. So thank you for coming on Rams Iconic. Thank you for being a great coach. Uh, I can't wait to see you next. Coach, thanks for joining us, man. This was awesome. You know, we love you. Take care, buddy. All right, that's a wrap on another episode of Rams Iconic. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. It was great. Uh, do not forget to hit that subscribe button. And if you'd be so kind, go ahead and leave us a review. Let us know which Rams legend you'd like to hear from next. And there is still time to be among the first to experience SoFi Stadium. You've got to get in there. To purchase single game tickets, visit therams.com slash tickets. That's therams.com slash tickets. Thank you for listening. I'm DeMarco Farr, and we'll see you next time on Rams Iconic.